Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Because you may be a socialist reporter, because I don't, I don't agree with that, John. John, the bottom line what is, is true. My, what you're saying now, what said, or what you're saying my, then? See, I'm sure. Walk away. It's the easiest way to do it. Dan McConnell and John Fillion, from what I said. Okay. Answer the question. Right. You just call right. him a fat fuck. Yeah. Answer why do you say that? Why did you say that? Well, yes, why did you, did you just call him a fat fuck? You did. You did. You said and that. Barbara, you did that. Why did you? I just heard you. You just you called just him a fat fuck. Why did you okay. do that? Okay. Where are you I'd going, I'd like to John? know what your editor John. says Come about here, this. I'd like to know what your editor says about this, Barbara. Rob, come on. Rob, forget it. That's what you should be covering. Did John Barbara call Rob Ford a fat fuck? Did he? doesn't really matter, but it does seem impossible to bring you my interview with veteran political columnist John Barber without making reference to the fat fuck incident. Actually, I could totally have left that out. Uh, but what fun is that? Barber covered Toronto politics for 16 years for the Globe. He was widely respected, praised by none other than Jane Jacobs for his thorough knowledge of the city, his acerbic prose, his no-nonsense, unflinching point of view. But that point of view would come into conflict with editor-in-chief John Stackhouse, and he took a buyout last summer. But John Barber has recently re-emerged with a flame-throwing essay in The Torontoist, decrying the state, not only of the Globe and Mail, but of all of Canada's big newspapers, save perhaps the Toronto Star, 
Instead of speaking truth to power, as they are supposed to do, Barber writes that Canada's newspapers now speak lies for power, and he's going to join me in a minute to explain just what that means. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars And I I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Got a very interesting book to recommend this week. The sponsor for CanadaLand is Audible, and you can download a free audiobook when you go to audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. And uh, here's a book that CanadaLand listener Mike McFadgen recommends. It's a book that I've been meaning to read. Uh, now I know I can listen to it as well as an audiobook. The book is Difficult Men by Brett Martin. It's all about Breaking Bad and The Sopranos and Mad Men and The Wire, all of this this whole golden age of television that we're enjoying through these cable series that all seem to star these protagonists, these antiheroes, these difficult men. And the shows themselves are created by very difficult men. People like David Chase of The Sopranos, David Simon and Ed Burns of The Wire, David Milch, the creator of Deadwood, which is kind of my favorite. Brett Martin interviews them all and takes a real look at how this happened, how these TV series became kind of like what the novel used to be, what movies were in the 70s. Now it's these TV shows, Difficult Men by Brett Martin. Download it now for free or any other book that is in Audible's vast library. Do it now by going to audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. I've been interested to read some of the comments on my story. It's got a bunch. It was a lot of fun to read. I think it was probably uh, fun to write as well. Um, Yeah, I had to put it it aside after I wrote it to make sure I really wanted to do that, but uh, I did. You did it. Yeah. You're in rare form. Oh, I guess, yeah. Let's see here. The increasingly tawdry Globe and Mail, 
just proposed uh, three different classifications of journalistic whoring. Uh, inviting the devil into the newsroom and expecting to keep him in line with chalk marks on the floor. That was in reference to the uh, document that I was leaked yeah. for the uh, advertorial mm-hmm. branded content thing that mm-hmm. we talked about previously on the show. Talk about uh, Editor-in-Chief David Walmsley doing last-minute political dirty work for billionaires and mm-hmm. flipping the endorsement from from when to, uh, to Hudak. Of the National Post, say it would not exist if not for its usefulness as an ideological armament for the ruling class, there was never a credible business case for it in the first place. Conceived as Conrad Black's political cudgel, has only ever lost money. The Sun, you say, the sole purpose of this once popular publication is the passing whim of a billionaire separatist politician from Quebec. Attracting readers is no longer the point with these publications. It is all about thumping the tub for the man. Well, you know, if you're going to paint with a broad brush, you don't want to bother with too many of the details and the and the backpedalings that a more uh, you know seasoned or more uh, mature journalist might <laughs> apply to that sort of uh, commentary. Polemic is is a viable form. There's nothing wrong with a good polemic. Well, you know, you just have to you, you just have to say it. You know, if the evidence is there right in front of you. you yeah. Know, and if you and, and if it's undeniable, what is actually going on? I think saying that all these major newspapers are just there to carry water for the man, if that was coming from a uh, grad student with a knapsack full of Chomsky books, you'd look at it one way. But you've worked for these papers, some of them, for uh, your whole career. Yeah. When it comes from you, I think we have to listen. Um, Well, I mean, people can do what they want. (laughs) They... uh it is a lot different. I mean, certainly my critique is based not only in a romantic idea of what papers were like at their glory, at their, at their, at their best, but also having practiced during that day. It's just so different now. You know, to have papers so out of touch with their readers is what I don't understand. You know, it's not as if you have to enforce some ideological uh, conformity here to say, you know, well, people think this way, therefore the papers must think that way too. But uh, for a formerly popular uh, medium in which I worked, where it was all about connecting with readers, you know, and being in the mainstream, right? Yeah. We were the mainstream media. I was proud of being mainstream, right? That to me was the place you wanted to be. Now nobody cares about that. And why? Why why are readers all of a sudden, readers' interest, the last thing that these newspapers think about when they endorse politicians, for instance? Right. And you use the endorsement as a case uh, to illustrate this idea of them being out of touch. You write about how, you know, before this last vote here in Ontario, the uh, Tories lost 91 of the 92 seats they contested in Toronto this century. And then uh, this vote, they lost that seat. And yet three of the four big papers endorsed the conservatives. Mm-hmm. To readers who historically didn't want the conservatives, who didn't want them this time, I mean, Hudak got trounced. Well, I'm thinking Toronto in particular. Yeah. You know, I'm writing as a, from a Toronto point of view about Toronto papers. They may think they're national or something like that, or they're higher above it, but they're part of the scene here. Yeah. And as you say, that, that the thing that it's just remarkable to me that they could uh, be tacked so far right when the, their readership is obviously much more mainstream. I mean, you make a good point that they're under no specific, you know, marching orders to just parrot back what their readers want to hear or where the reader's sympathies lie. Mm -hmm. And yet that is strange that they would be so completely diametrically opposed to to where the voter is at. Uh, So we got to ask why. Yeah. And this is just, we're talking just about endorsements of political parties, but that's really significant because it shows things in the raw. Yeah. It shows where we're at. But I also think that this... uh, 
this being out of touch and being at the command of interests that are different from the readers is reflected in the coverage as a whole. You know, the Globe is a is an example uh, <clears throat> of a newspaper that's just descending into total trivia. You know, whose whose interests does that serve? Yeah, uh, it doesn't it doesn't serve the readers anymore. So that's what's really different, I think, about the media today, about these newspapers today. They're the interests that they're serving on on a whole bunch of levels are not the interests of their readers per se. I mean, you seize upon these endorsements, you know, though they're of arguable significance. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll argue that there are very little significance, uh, what, what, mm-hmm. what the newspapers endorse these days. But but you seize on them as illustrative of, you know, this is where we can actually see mm-hmm. who's controlling things in these papers and what interests are controlling them. And I, I think that this suggests, you know, the death of the newspaper, the death of the newspaper. This is a fate worse than death, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because mm-hmm. it's like... Okay, if the papers are challenged by new media and they lose their advertising base and they go under, maybe something is reborn. Mm-hmm. But what's actually happening, and I think this has sort of been a prevailing theme in a lot of the conversations I've been having about this, is that if newspapers stop making money as going concerns, as actual businesses that return profits, they still have a value mm-hmm. to certain people. Mm-hmm. And that is what they – persist for in this country like would you agree with that is that is that what well, I mean, very much yeah. very much I think that's uh, I think that's right I think that's absolutely correct uh, the interesting thing is that the papers actually do retain their influence I mean I agree that endorsements are you know they used to be so what kind of um, now they're they're, they're they're a big deal uh, there is this residual influence that newspapers have and people need to have some sort of sounding board of authority, right? There, there is a need for the mainstream media as it was. And so we project these desires to have these, somebody getting it right, in other words, yeah. onto these institutions that are no longer worthy of our trust. There's a lot of people investing a lot of trust still in these voices that I think uh, they should think more critically about as they descend into uh, something which is no longer popular. It's interesting, like, as everything fragments and there really is no mainstream media, mm-hmm. aside maybe from, like, celebrity culture, mm-hmm. there still is this need, you know, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy of politicians and companies who want to know, well, what, what, what are people saying and what is true and what is real? Mm-hmm. And that's a harder question to answer than ever. Mm-hmm. And so though the papers can't actually purport to necessarily represent people or their opinions or even influence people or their opinions – it still seems to be, you know, you can kind of affirm something as saying like, well, it's true that the public supports this energy initiative, mm-hmm. um, or we can make a case that this has widespread public support because look at all these articles in the Globe and Mail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look at all these articles in this, that, that authority of, of a newspaper's mm-hmm. masthead, even if the paper itself is, mm-hmm. you know, has a, a fraction of the influence it once had, because mm-hmm. who else can you defer to? There's no one left. So yeah. that, that's sort of, yeah. that's the most valuable thing that's left when everything else has kind of gone out. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know the institutional presence that these papers had was really extraordinary in the past. And so, as I say, it hangs over. They used to make twenty percent a year margins, like complete before taxes. Like this was the way a newspaper is. If you owned one, yeah. that's what it did. So nobody cared what the editors or the and, and and the reporters did. I mean, the nature of the political coverage or any sort of coverage, whether they were bringing down the government or whether they were selling perfume, it didn't affect your 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 profits. And so. The ownership had no interest in newspapers as a political tool. But now that all that authority has been stripped away, there's no sort of uh, uh, commercial basis 
to on which to rest that sort of institutional authority and power. They remain as these kind of zombie presences influencing public <laughs> right. opinion. Zombie newspapers. I hate, I hate to say all this because you know I love newspapers, and uh, a lot of my friends are still working there, and they're doing and they're doing great work. And every one of these newspapers I criticize has got good stuff in it at any at any point. It's and good not, people who care working for them. Absolutely, but you know they're being put in impossible situations. I mean that's what makes me so sad to see what my colleagues, the former colleagues of the Globe, are now being asked to do. Is you know it's it's like a assisted suicide is what it is. Being asked to write advertisements, basically. Yeah, about the same companies and interests that they're supposed to be reporting on. So interesting, the the, uh, the perspective you, you, in the context you provide, that it was when papers were making tons of money and when they were at their most commercial yeah. that principles of journalistic independence and integrity mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. mattered. And, and, yeah. and were you know, be, it was because if you're making that much money for the owner – then you can kind of name your terms for what you do editorially. Yeah, I can remember a great story that um, uh, Harold Evans, a f- legendary uh, editor of the Sunday Times, recently deceased, uh, Tina Brown's uh, husband, who uh, told about Lord Thompson, Roy Thompson, the original Thompson. Uh-huh. They were, were going to release some, I forget the exact circumstances, the Sunday Times had a huge scoop and it was going to embarrass the government to such extent that there were dispatch riders coming from Westminster to close the newspaper down on the basis of some medieval law, very serious, and uh, so Evans feels that he has to tell Thompson, you know, that this is a crisis, that his, his property might be expropriated by the government. Thompson's leaving today with his umbrella in his newspaper, and Evans tells him this. Thompson looks at him and says, well, very well, very well, Harry, whatever you think is best, see you tomorrow, and off he toddles into the night. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the paradise that we once lived in. Of course, stupidly, we thought that Thompson was a crazy old tightwad who was ruining the newspaper business. We didn't realize that that was a golden age. Yeah, I guess as long as those profits were there, mm-hmm. why dirty your hands with this stuff? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, when editors could uh, make a huge difference, you know, I mean, there was a time when circulation mattered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, nowadays when I was working at the Glove of Mail, uh, you know, there, we had a strategy of driving down circulation because it just cost money to distribute newspapers. People would say to me, ah, you're just trying to sell you newspapers with that stuff. And I'd say, no, we're not trying to sell newspapers. <laughs> we're trying to do the opposite. You're telling me there was an active strategy of of Lowering the Globe and Mail circulation? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That was uh, <clears throat> back in the, uh, oh, I guess in the 90s. And it wasn't stupid. You know, I mean, if I was taking over the thing right now, I would, I would not produce all those newspapers and all those regional editions all across the country. I mean, that's just killing them. Yeah, well, now I guess as just a bricks and mortar, you know, producing all of these these wads of paper and moving them around the country. There is another distribution method, but I mean, prior to that, I thought that was the whole game was trying to get your circulation up. Well, it, it wasn't because it costs more money to get to get readers and to keep readers yeah. in peripheral areas than it did to um, for the, the, the subscriptions gave you, and uh, nobody was interested in advertising to uh, people in uh, Portage La Prairie or wherever it is. You know, we were trying to sell these papers. It's almost like. Um, misplaced cynicism. If the cynicism is, 
all you guys are trying to do is sell papers or all you guys are trying to do is get clicks. Mm -hmm. And this is sensationalistic nonsense because mm -hmm. you're just after that attention. Mm -hmm. That would actually be an ethical step up. That yeah. is not the game. Yeah. I mean, that's shocking, I think, to most people. Um, well, it's subtle, too, at the same time. I mean, uh, you know, because you are clicking, aren't you? You know, <laughs> and you do, we do click on this, uh, on, this, on this junk. And we also uh, click on stuff that's good, that uh, somebody's paid to produce, that we're not, paying, we're not paying to consume. It's really difficult. When I left in the Globe newsroom, there was a, you know, a monitor showing what was the popular story at that time. Uh -huh. And this was, became this, this discipline. You know, and if it was, you know, the 95th article that year about how to prepare for a marathon, <laughs> you know, that's what you did. <laughs> you know? The globe and uh, long distance running uh, keeps popping up as a theme. So this is a known thing is that articles about running perform well at the globe. Well, it seems to me that every time I, I well, I don't read the life section, but uh, <clears throat> that's what they're on about a lot. Is this why you left? You took a buyout. Oh, I mean, I left because, uh, you know, the, the, the era is over and, you know, I was not in good water with the management there by any means. And uh, uh, there was a push to get the older, more expensive people out. That was a corporate uh, decision that, uh, you know, they made a, a good offer. And uh, so it was all, you know, handshakes all around and see you later kind of thing. And this was uh, a frayed relationship with Stackhouse? Oh, <laughs> it goes back. It goes back. You know, it's just, it's just, it's it, they're difficult, difficult circumstances uh, in the newspaper business in general. And, you know, not to personalize it or anything yeah. like that. I think that, uh, you know, these people are hired to make horrible decisions and uh, they perform reliably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, without getting into kind of some level of gossip, I, I am interested in the cultural shifts at the globe and, and what changed if it was just a question of that older people are more expensive and, you know, that work can be done by younger people or if there was editorially decisions that were made. I know that, uh, you know, when you left uh, writing about Toronto and Marcus came in, there was there was a lot of chatter about that. Is there anything you can tell us about the shifts in mentality of the globe and, and how that's evolved? Well, I think I talked about it earlier saying, you know, we started off talking about a political endorsement, which kind of, you know, is a snapshot, a flashbulb, but shows what, you know, the, the disposition is. But that seeps through an organization. And, you know, politically, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a line. You know, I mean, I I was one way, and they didn't like that, and so they put somebody in there who was more the way they wanted him to be. Yeah, um, I think you know any ordinary reader could take a look at the newspaper and and determine that it has a very distinct political uh, uh, hue. So move to the right. Yeah, I mean, you know, my favorite example would be a better example than me would be someone like Martin Middlestad. I mean, Martin Middlestad is a fellow my age who was the best environmental reporter in Canada slash North America slash the world. I mean, he saw his byline and it was a scoop and it was an important story. Sensational environment reporter. They pulled him off the beat. They canceled the beat. They, mm -hmm. He's writing quarterly report, reports on, you know, quarterly earnings and the cobwebs of the business section right now. There hasn't been a report, an environment reporter at the Globe and Mail for five or six years. Yeah. Instead, they've got a perfume columnist. Right? Yeah. No one is, is dedicated to writing about the environment. If I want to know what Canadian pol energy policy is, I look at the, at the Guardian. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all I have to say about it. Yeah. I want to try to get some understanding of how these kind of political 
movements happen irrespective of what readers want to read or whether or not it represents readers or is of interest to readers because Steve Lauderante, he you know, used to be The Globe and now is a Twitter Canada, he tweeted something like, oh, people have this weird idea that newspaper owners give a damn about the political direction of their papers. And, uh, they, you know, and that editors, I think, I think to, to try to get them right, that editors care and, and try to influence the stuff. And really, uh, publishers, they, they just want you to get your copy in. Nobody cares. What I want to know is what you know about how a newspaper shifts its political viewpoint and where those orders come from and why. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's like saying, you know, how do uh, snails evolve? You know, we know that they do, but we can't necessarily, you know, point to the exact steps in which they change from one thing to another. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it's not, it's not necessary to, uh, uh, to, to, to sketch in the details. I think that the bigger move we've seen is, as, as we were talking about, earlier, this uh, sense that the, the mission as a popular uh, mainstream voice and supplier of the news has diminished, the value of these newspapers is as their instruments of, 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 in, of influence. Mm-hmm. And if you look in Britain, this is, this is what, what's happened. You see, you know, a Russian billionaire will own a newspaper and suddenly the editorials will start reflecting his point of view. That is just, you know, Anybody can see that happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you look at what they were and what they are, you can see that this these newspapers have changed their role. Their function is no longer uh, commercial. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's propagandistic. You, know, it's, you uh, have to. What is it? You know, yeah. you know, what, what, what is the, what, what is the point of what is the point of these uh, of these institutions? And uh, I really do, really do believe that uh, it's an effort by capital, capital, you know with a C, it doesn't have to have names on it, to maintain instruments of social control and and to advance their interests. Uh, And that's what newspapers realize. That's why we're turning every so-called independent article into something we can sell to an advertiser, right? That's the value of the enterprise now. Whether it's because, you know, whether you're the Koch brothers and you want to achieve, you know, some political goal or whether you're Thompson, you just want to have some revenue in the operation. That's what the beast is right now. That's what it's turned into. It has an uh, ancillary effect, which is that it's. I, I think it's keeping us stuck in this country because whatever the revenues that persist mm-hmm. in terms of the online advertising, the print advertising, whatever they are, though they might not be enough to maintain the infrastructure of these massive organizations, they could certainly fuel a whole new generation of online news efforts. Mm-hmm. But that's not happening. And I think that because these papers are sort of in their zombie mm-hmm. trance, just sort mm-hmm. of like marching on for no particular reason, it's gumming up the works. It's a bottleneck on new stuff popping up mm-hmm. in Canada that might turn a little bit of a profit mm-hmm. and be a going concern, you know? Well, that's really interesting because, you know, I'm a sort of at the end of my career and I'm not expecting that to happen for a while. You know, I see it as a sort of a gradual transition. These institutions will decay and something will will happen. But whether it's, you know, uh, to me, it would be something that happens in another generation. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what it is. It's not the Huff Post. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it's just going to be an amalgam of uh, of competing voices, a babble, you know, which has advantages, frankly. Sure. You know, I mean, the, the access to information that we have is spectacular. And one of the reasons why newspapers are losing their authority is that uh, they no longer have that monopoly or any more close to it. And that's a good thing. Well, it's the best of times and the worst of times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very hard to suppress information. It's very hard to suppress voices. You know, Twitter is a wonderful tool mm-hmm. for demanding clarity and, and transparency. And just, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my stories get torn to shreds like anybody else's. And you've mm-hmm. got to get in there and engage with it and, mm-hmm. you know, correct it if it's wrong. And mm-hmm. that's going on simultaneously with mm-hmm. the complete destruction of this as an industry. <laughs> yeah. A lot of chatter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you're and you're you're joining in and we're here talking about your Torontoist piece. Mm-hmm. It must be tough, uh, you know, having a voice for so long. You know, I half yeah. the time I'm in here, I'm trying, I'm trying to talk about the future of journalism. I'm talking to retired journalists a lot of the time because <laughs> they're the only ones who actually speak their minds. Yeah, yeah. And in many cases, they they, are, they feel a need to. They're compelled to. They can't stop. Can you mm-hmm. can you stop? How are, are, are you? Uh, can I stop? Can you stop just being a voice in the in the babble? Um, do you want? I mean, I'm I, I'm not no, encouraging I mean, you to. No, it's you know, it's like taking the needle out of your arm. You've got to do it. Yeah. You know? um, uh, what I what I really like doing and. Uh, is is becoming difficult is reporting yeah (laughs) i like to be able to spend some time on something and to know what i'm talking about and to write it at length as we were talking about uh, earlier and there are still a few uh, places where you know that's possible and uh, to your point about new institutions coming up i mean wouldn't it be great if uh, there was uh, some place that would actually pay for uh, good online journalism but you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. I see that as something that uh, you know is of the past and, and not of the near future. Maybe the far future. While I got you here, can we talk about Rob Ford? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I Google you, you know what I get first, right? <clears throat> right. <clears throat> so I'm not so interested in whether you said it or not, but I am interested. You know, just watching that clip again in preparing for this interview, whether or not you said it, and. Uh, you know, I won't say what he is definitively, but he certainly was being a fat fuck mm-hmm. that day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it kind of was all there. And yeah. kind of everything you need to know about Rob Ford and all the misconceptions about Rob Ford were there in that exchange mm-hmm. where, and you stop me if I get any of this wrong, people accept mm-hmm. and love him in mm-hmm. a way as mm-hmm. this sort of mm-hmm. jovial dunce, mm-hmm. drunk Mm-hmm. Crackhead, mm-hmm. that all sits well with his base. Mm-hmm. But the truth of Ford was exposed in that clip mm-hmm. where he is a savvy manipulator of the media. He was explicitly manipulating you mm-hmm. and, and had lied to you, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was all a giant schmazzle. I mean, I don't think I don't think there's anything savvy about it on anybody's part. Uh, uh, but it was revealing, um, and uh, he. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know what to say about that. Uh, you know, for a long time I resented it as being you know the one thing that I'm remembered for. But uh, on the other hand, now I'm 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 willing I'm willing to embrace it because I think that what it does is it uh, does what journalism does, which is you know. Show people. Right? Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't like being the star of my own uh, stuff necessarily, but sometimes it happens. And is does that 
is that information worthwhile? A lot of people think it is. I mean, I, I didn't want to say this is what's going to be in your obit. I don't think it will. I think you, you, you'll have a better legacy than that. But it will be what will be in your Google rankings. I think oh, yeah, you know yeah. Uh, yeah. that that that'll be a part of the legacy. So you know, and just so people understand, this is where Ford essentially lied to you about you know he had information about well, what a yeah, counselor. That, the circumstances were, were were really quite obscure, and you have to remember that happened at like at eleven o'clock at night. And the, Back in 2008? Oh, no, before that. 2004. What? Oh, is, it's okay. ancient. It's ancient, yeah. Okay. It was all about getting rid of Julie Fantino. Yeah. And it was a big struggle with a narrow majority to lever this buffoon out of the cop shop, right? Yeah. And the Miller people were pretty unsteady about it. And they were under a heavy attack. And uh, there was, you know, these rather smaller side disputes that they were, were, were using to t- somehow overturn the event. And people got a little crazy at you know, 11 o'clock at night, uh, me included, trying to cover it and thinking I had to have something in the paper the next day about this. And Ford told you that a counselor had voted one way? It, it, well, the idea was that the vote was supposed to be secret. That is, a vote on the police board who uh, voted for or against Fantino. And uh, Ford let it out that he knew what the vote was. And, he, and then he said he didn't. I mean, it's all just stuff that, that doesn't matter anymore. But it was just like one of those typical things where somebody says both things at once. And I said to him, well, which one is the truth and which one is a lie, right? Yeah. You you can't see right now. I mouthed the words. I didn't actually say them, but they were pretty visible coming out of my mouth. <laughs> what grabbed me about like, it? Don't waste my time. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's I mean, like you say, it's uh, ancient history, the details mm-hmm. of it, and, and really, you know, minutia stuff. But mm-hmm. the two things that caught me were a that this is a different Ford than the popular conception. This is a Ford who's feeding the mm-hmm. press information that mm-hmm. turns out to be not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first part of it. And then what really grabbed my attention was once Mamaliti calls you out mm-hmm. for calling Ford a fat fuck, mm-hmm. Ford seizes on it. Mm-hmm. And this is the Ford, I think, you know, with a glee in his eye, mm-hmm. like you just presented a delicious cake. Yeah. And he turns the tables completely and starts hounding you as if you were the politician mm-hmm. evading transparency and he were the reporter. And he chases you down the hall saying, say it, say it, say it. And this is the Ford uh, who, whose team seized upon the Stephen Marsh piece about him being fat. This buttresses a major tenant of Ford's shtick, which is that the press is out to get him. And when, when he actually can kind of manufacture or engineer a situation where the press says something like that, then, then mm-hmm. he, he was very mm-hmm. – you know, I know I know you buck against the term uh, savvy, but I think he knew what he was doing there. I, I think it was just the heat of the moment, a momentary advantage. Ah, this guy screwed up, and we're and you know, and uh, yeah, and we're gonna and we're gonna we're gonna nail him. It's uh, it, it's schoolyard fighting. That's all it was. You yeah, know, you know, all you all you see is uh, the character. Uh, you don't necessarily see uh, any strategy in, in in Ford's immediate reaction. But you're right. I mean, the gleefulness of being uh, it was it was telling, wasn't it? The gleefulness to have been uh, given, as you say, this gift. Okay, this guy who was on me, on top of me, yeah. a second ago, is now underneath me, and I'm going to pound him. That's the football player's mentality, and the and it's typical mentality in any kind of uh, you know 
Taiwanese-type uh, politics, you know? Yeah, maybe I'm making more of it than it needs, but, you know, like in a short period of time, we have a lie from Ford, mm-hmm. and then we have a reversal where Ford is able to kind of be— Well, uh, the threats of violence, too. You yeah. Know? I mean, I can't believe it. This guy, it wasn't say it, say it, say it. It was, it was, it was you know, chest-bumping. He was in your face, and yeah. he, he was not letting you move, and, uh, and he's a big guy. Not really. Yeah? He's, well, he's, he's not as big as he looks, and he's, he's short. You know? uh-huh. Maybe he's, maybe he's 5'10". Or something like that. Um, uh, I, I'd like to see him in action on the football field. I don't think he'd last more than you know well, two there, plays. I, I've seen a gif of him in action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't think he's. I don't think he's got a lot of uh, of uh, power there. Yeah. I think, I think he's got a blast or two, and then it uh, it quickly diminishes until he gets something up his nose, maybe, and girds his loins for right. more battle. <laughs> Are you, uh, I mean, during all of this insane circus, did you, did, did you miss it? Well, um, I, I, I said no for a long time, but uh, we had some fantastic journalism, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was exciting to me, uh, to, to, to see that kind of uh, uh, pursuit, that kind of, you know, serious, uh, let's, let's find out uh, what this bastard's up to and uh, expose the truth. Uh, that's, uh, that was really exciting to me and part of me says well you know if, if I had been there it wouldn't just be a star story right yeah <laughs> that's right. what I think but maybe that's just my vanity it was invigorating just seeing yeah. seeing things work the way they're supposed to and just everybody at the edge of their seats I remember I was in a number of different scenarios not just with uh, journalists not just with media people and just it was incredible watching like in a coffee shop everybody stopped to watch yeah. the news yeah I mean there was that one Wednesday night this was quite recently I guess where there were three scoops there was a new Ford video yeah of videos it was like it was you know Twitter was never had never been better it was oh my god oh my god <laughs> right and it was, there was stuff for everybody everybody had something by that point right you know the TV the radio both newspapers it was, it was yeah it was it was it was sort of the way it, it it should have been rather than just the star carrying the ball for so for so long and people said constantly, Jesus, it's really interesting. You know, the star is coming a newspaper again. <laughs> you know, it's like we haven't had a newspaper for yeah. a while in this town. We're going to miss Ford when he's gone. I mean, journalists are going to miss Ford. Come on. It's well, never going to be this good. There, well, you know, I, first of all, you know, Ford will always be with us. Uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. He'll always, you know, I don't care what he says. He'll always be you know, screwing up and flaming out and doing all that sort of thing. And as long as he's alive. Yeah, and there's going to be another person, you know. it's This is municipal politics. I and mean, we had Mel Lastman for a long time, right? Yeah. Mel Lastman used to get me on the front page reliably. <laughs> right? There'll be another one for the new generation. He had a lower impact lifestyle, but... Uh... Well, it was just as crazy. Yeah. You know, the SARS thing in 2002, completely oh, crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, I love it. Thank you. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read everything you send me. I respond when I can. The show's website is canadalandshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at jessebrown. And if you sign up for a 30-day free trial, you can download a free audiobook right now at audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. I make this show with Christopher DeMello, and we'll have another episode for you on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.